now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Heron. On the phone, we have a new member of the Basketball Hall of Fame within the last couple of years. He played at UCLA. We're not going to say in what time. It was. We'll say a short time ago. He also played for the Golden State Warriors, the Lakers and Clippers, Hall of Famer Jamal Wilkes. How are you doing today? I'm doing terrific. It's great to be with you and um, Elliot today. Great to have you on. I see you were born in Berkeley. How did you end up going to UCLA, or was it basically at that time all the great players went to UCLA? Well, technically, I was born in Berkeley, but literally I was just hatched there. When I was nine <laughs> months old, uh, my parents left and relocated to the south and then through the Midwest, and I wound up in uh, the Ventura, Santa Barbara area when I was five years old. So I grew up in Southern California, and um, it was uh, at that time uh, UCLA was where uh, all the all the really top players wanted to be at least re- recruited, and if uh, if, if 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 they were able to go there, uh, wanted to go there. So I grew up in Southern California. I grew up. You know, following uh, UCLA, USC, uh, more so than I did Cal or Stanford. When you were recruited, was it John Wooden who who came to the house, or was it Gary Cunningham or somebody else? It was Coach Wooden that came to the house uh, to close the deal. Uh, but it was Denny Crum, uh, who was still an assistant at UCLA before mm-hmm. he went to Louisville and became a Hall of Fame coach, who actually came up and saw me play a couple times in high school, but. And then Coach came up and saw me play, too. But it was Coach Wooden that came to the house and took us out to dinner. When you started playing, were the freshmen playing at that time, or were they still ineligible to play? We're still ineligible to play. It was actually uh, my senior year, freshmen were eligible to play. Now, when Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, started at UCLA, they had the, the freshman team, and they said that the freshman team could have beaten the UCLA varsity with him. How would your freshman team have done against the varsity? Uh, we weren't quite as fortunate. No, his freshman team actually did beat the varsity. We uh, played against – I was on the team with Bill Walton, the Hall of Fame player, uh, right. center, and we we played the varsity that had uh, Sidney Wicks and Curtis Rowe and oh. Henry oh. Bisky. And they, and they beat us pretty good. So we weren't quite, uh, quite uh, <laughs> as fortunate as uh, Lou Alcindor's team. <laughs> What was it like playing at UCLA back in the 70s? It was uh, unbelievable, indescribable, just a uh, uh, a memory that I grow more and more fonder of every day. First of all, Coach Wooden was, he was a teacher, and he was very old school. He wasn't into self-hype, self-promotion like a lot of the coaches are today. Uh, he wasn't worried about money or contract. He was just focused on teaching his players basketball and, more importantly, teaching them character. It, it's hard for – for in, uh, and I understand in today's world it's really hard to believe that because everyone's so focused on me, me, me and getting ahead, and, and rightfully so. I mean, rightfully so. It is competitive out there, but he was just so unique and such a role model that we didn't really understand or appreciate it at the time. Now, the basketball, going to practice, our practices were as good, if not better, than the games. We had great players from top to bottom. For example, uh, Swin Maynard, who played, never played, played right. center behind Bill Walton all, all his whole career, never played, rarely played 
in college basketball, went on to a 15-year pro career, led both the NBA and ABA in rebounding. That just is an example of the kind of players we had and, 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 and the quality practices that, that we had. But it all started with John Wood. He was just unbelievable. How was he able to take all that talent? And his teams had a lot of great players, but every team had only one basketball. How was he able to, to get all those players to not be me first and, and be about the team? Well, you know, I can only give my opinion on that. I mean, I think part of it was he recruited certain types of guys. You know, now he wanted great ball players, and make no mistake about it. And some of them had to change their games or didn't play as much because they didn't buy into the team concept. But he was just, um, you know, when I was there, he'd already won several championships with Lou Alcindor and Sidney Wick. So, I mean, we would have given our right arms to be there and, and, and to play. So it was no problem for us to buy into the system. But he was really unique that way in that he was able to focus everyone on, on the team concept. Did Denny Crum run the practices, or was it basically just John Wooden? Now, Denny, uh, Coach Crum, he recruited me out of high school. And my freshman year, which I, you know, could not play, Gary Cunningham was our coach, and Denny was the assistant of varsity. When I went to the varsity my sophomore year, Coach Crum left that year. So I never played uh, for Coach Crum. And uh, Coach Wooden, I mean, he was – he ran the practice. I mean, he was the boss, and, you know, he had it. He was very prepared, number one. Our practices were so efficient. We never had long, drawn-out practices. It was very tight, very prepared, very scripted. And, you know, Coach Cunningham may have said run some parts of it, but Coach would always be there watching up in the stands or teaching on the court. It was It was his program, no doubt about it. Now, your jump shot had a very distinctive form. Did did anybody ever try to change that? Yes, uh, and uh, uh, Coach Wooden uh, actually thought about it. After my sophomore year, the first week of practice, he called me over, and I was terrified because he, you know, I, no one wanted to stand out. I mean, you know, you just wanted to blend in. And, and he said, you know, uh, Keith, I want you to shoot some jump shots around the key, and I, I just was flabbergasted. And he actually rebounded for me, and I remember every pass was a perfect pass, and and I shot the ball and shot the ball. I made like 95% of them. And then he called me over. He said, now, now how do you release that ball? And, and he made me go through the whole thing. And how does it leave your fingertips? And then finally said, okay, you're dismissed. So years later, we laughed about it. He, he said he actually thought about it. But, but my start and my finish was textbook. And it was just in between it was different. And I developed that as a young kid. I didn't even know I was doing anything different because I was a tall, skinny kid in a small basketball town. And I started playing with older guys at a very young age, and they would block my shot all the time. And I just developed that to get my shot off. So <laughs> he did think about it. But no one else ever really seriously thought about it. I, I, well, they never talked to me about it. I'm sure they may have <laughs> thought about it, but they never talked to me about it. How did Don Ford, your high school teammate, not end up at UCLA? I don't know. I have no idea. He went to New Mexico and later transferred to UCSB. I, I don't know what happened there. Could you think it would be a package deal? Because you guys were two of the top players there. Yeah, we were. Uh, we had an outstanding season, and uh, Don was a was a fine young player. Uh, but I'm 
I don't have the insight there. I never asked Coach that, and uh, I don't. I never talked to Don about it. So I, I, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> now you're a teammate in in college with Bill Walton. Did he turn you into a Grateful Dead fan or anything? Well, uh, Bill was. Uh, he didn't turn me into a fan, but I, you know, I, I'm a uh, and. Uh, I enjoyed their music. I'm not quite the diehard fan he is. I'm not a dick, <laughs> but uh, Bill, Bill was, uh, I mean, he was an awesome basketball player. He was in the Hall of Fame, but he was a terrific teammate. I mean, he was so much fun and such a, uh, a gregarious uh, social guy, and uh, uh, I, I, I love him. I love the guy on and off the court and what he's meant to my life, and and uh, he's just really, really special, a special person to me. He, he didn't quite fit the mold of the John Wooden recruit. You know, here, here was this, you know, wild red hair all over the place, uh, beard, free spirit, not quite what you would well, envision. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I still, on, on the outside, but he was number one. He was, he's really a, a, a really solid character type guy. And it's, uh, I, I hear what you're saying because later on, his image really kind of spun out of control there until uh, he, till he started to reel it back in. But, you know, Coach Witten did want want uh, top basketball players, which he was, and, and he comes from a really solid family. His mom and dad are just really solid-earth solid people. And, you know, Coach coach could deal with that. I mean, he, he wanted yeah. that fire around that spirit, but, you know, as long as it was, uh, you know, not out of control. And so Coach Witten helped Bill Walton learn how to control himself. <laughs> how did you win 88 consecutive games? Well, our teams won 73 of those 88 games. And, you know, again, uh, it was such a special time. I really point to Coach Wooden, his, uh, uh, his leadership and his being a role model on and off the floor. He never made a big deal about the win streak, number one. He always asked us to just, uh, you know, after the game, before the game, he always said, all I ask is that after the game, you'd be able to look in the mirror and know that you gave your best. And that's all we ever tried, tried to do. And because of this brilliance in teaching fundamental basketball and team basketball and his practices, because it just literally spilled over in the game, our practices were as good, if not better, than our games. So uh, when it came game time, we didn't uh, – our expectation was to do what we did in practice, which was play at a very, very high level. And, uh, I, you know, that's my best answer. I can't say – you know, when I think about winning 88 games in a row myself, I'm kind of flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted <laughs> by that. You know, how, how do we do that? But then again, I think to our leader and our coach and our role model, Coach Wooden, and um, he was just a, uh, a brilliant basketball mind. Because what the streak you lost to Notre Dame in '71, and then you lost him again in '74. Yes. So you were on the team that lost in '71. I was no, I was not on that no. team. That was the Wicks and Road team. They lost in '71. The Austin Carr had an unbelievable game that day, and then they won 15 and more, and then we won the next '73, and then lost in Notre Dame as well. So Notre Dame is a meaningful footnote to UCLA basketball. <laughs> So you're not a big Digger Phelps fan? <laughs> well, honestly, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, but but I do respect him as a coach and as a broadcast. Now, you spoke at, at the memorial service for John Wooden. How did that come about, 
And what was that experience like for you? The athletic department contacted me and said the family wanted me to speak. And frankly, uh, I didn't want to speak because I was so overwhelmed with emotion. But I knew what it would mean to his family. So I spoke. I decided to speak. And, uh, you know, I just tried to speak from the heart. And uh, I did try and be brief because I remember, I said, and I thought a lot about him. I said, okay, how would he want me to handle this? Well, number one, he wouldn't want me to go up there and start crying. He wouldn't want me to go on and on and on about him. He would want me to get up, say what I had to say, and sit down. And that's what I tried to do. But it was only out of respect for the family uh, that I did it and the fact that they asked me to do it. So you win championships at UCLA. You go to Golden State in your rookie year, you win a championship there? Yes, sir. You must have thought <laughs> you had like the Midas touch. Well, you know what? What was uh, interesting, when I was drafted 11th in the first round, uh, there was a lot of question marks about me. Uh, people didn't think I'd be able to, you know, the experts didn't think I'd be able to survive the rigors of the NBA or I'd be able to contribute. And the Warriors had had a history of first-rounders uh, not panning out. So, you know, those two things uh, created kind of a real uh, a real cloud, if you will, going up to the Bay Area. We were picked to finish fifth in our division that year. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, we got off to a fast start. I didn't even start. At the, the first 10 games, I was coming off the bench, you know, getting about 20, you know, 24 minutes. And, um, uh, but we rolled off 10 in a row and it was just, it was, uh, it was really a magical season. And those fans up there are terrific. And we got going and, uh, then we had a tough series. Speaking of Chicago, we had a classic series with the Bulls with, uh, uh, Chet the Jet, the Hall of Famer, uh, mm-hmm. Bob Love, uh, Jerry Sloan, uh, Dick, uh, I can't Mark Van Leer. I can't. Van Leer, Van Leer yeah. and, uh, Borwinkle, Tom Borwinkle, uh, Ed All, those guys. Man, we had a bruising battle, seven game series with those guys. And, uh, I don't really know how we won, uh, but we did. Thank goodness. And going into the, championship against the Bullets, we were expected to get uh, swept for all. And uh, every game we were losing at halftime by like 15, 20 points, but we wound up sweeping them for all. It was just unbelievable, incredible. And, you know, Rick Barry, the Hall of Famer, was just uh, uh, just fantastic. I mean, just uh, he really delivered for us. A lot of guys did. Clifford Ray, George Johnson, uh, Butch Beard, Bill Smith. I mean, we just had a, uh exciting team. And, 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 and that team was exciting because we weren't expected to do anything. It was always us against the world. And, of course, our leader, Al Adams, the great Al Adams, uh, just an unbelievable season there in Golden State. Who gave you the nickname Silk? Uh, that happened uh, when I was a freshman. Uh, one of the guys... The students in the band, uh, A-plus engineering students, used to come to practice almost every day. And uh, one day after practice in the dorm, I was going with uh, my freshman teammates to get something to eat. And this guy came up to me and said, wow, Keith, you're like, oh, man, you're like silk. He just blurted out silk, smooth as silk. And so my teammates got a big kick out of it, and they started calling me that. 
And then the next year, my sophomore year, uh, Dick Enberg, the, uh, the great Dick Enberg, the broadcaster, he heard my teammates call me that, and he started calling me that on the air, and it just stuck. It just stuck. <laughs> With Golden State, when you passed the ball to Rick Barry, did the ball ever come back? <laughs> yeah. You know what? It did. Rick, Rick was a was a top notch scorer, big time scorer, but he was also a great passer. I mean, he was every year he kind of like led us in assist. And so, uh, you know, I knew to keep my eye on him because you know he could let the ball go, or if he or if he went for the shot for the rebound. So, yeah. He did pass the ball once in a while. <laughs> Rick's philosophy is you should score 18 points in the NBA by accident because you should get six off layoffs, six off free throws, and six off shots. So 18 is easy, according to him. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of things are free throws are very easy, uh, uh, according to him, but not for everybody else. <laughs> when when you got drafted by Golden State, the Lakers had the 12th pick. Was there a part of you that says – you know, I could wait another spot. I wouldn't mind going to L.A. Uh, no, there wasn't. Uh, uh, I was just happy to get drafted, happy to know where I was going, happy happy to be you know, able to continue playing basketball and not have to decide what next, you know. So I, I didn't really go through that process at all. And Golden State, you know, like, like I, I was born in Berkeley and, you know, I had – family in the Bay Area, so most major holidays, we would go up to the Bay Area. So I was very comfortable. That was like home away from home, and so I was okay with that. Then you go to the Lakers there, and the team basically at that time was what on the decline because all the guys were getting older. Yeah, they were. Uh, uh, they had Kareem, though, which was a uh, real positive, and you know, I actually wanted to stay in Golden State and finish my career there. Uh, but uh, I think it was, at the time, the the league and the game was growing from a rich man's hobby to big business. And I don't think the owner, Mr. Muley, could afford me and or a lot of guys. A lot of guys wound up leaving there for one reason or another. So when the Lakers were interested, I was very excited. And uh, uh, Mr. Cook still owned the team then. And... Uh, he was going through a bitter divorce, so it was kind of strange because he was in Las Vegas. He stayed out of California, uh, so they couldn't serve him with some papers. Uh, but fortunately, it came together and it, and, and it happened. And, and in the first couple of years, uh, we, we, we had, we had some old guys. Ron Boone, the great Ron Boone was mm-hmm. up in the air. Lou, Lou Hudson, the great Lou Hudson was, you know, he was up in years and, uh, but we did have a fine young player, Norm Nixon, Brad Davis, Kenny Carr. But uh, uh, then 1979 came, and bam, once again, magic. Dr. Bus buys the team, and they draft uh, a young man, Irvin Johnson, out of Michigan State. You should have taken David Greenwood. Then the Bulls would have got magic. <laughs> <laughs> well... I'm glad we. I'm glad we got magic. Uh, although I, I, you know, I've watched David at, at UCLA. Being a UCLA guy, I was a big fan of his. But I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we got magic. <laughs> what was playing for Pat, Pat Riley like? Oh, it was uh, really fun and and uh, really, really excellent. The first year or two, he was kind of learning the ropes. 
because he came out of the broadcast booth and, and and the veteran players took him in. Jerry West, of course, and Bill Sharman, they endorsed him. So, you know, we were open-minded and Pat was a quick study, quick learner. And, 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 and he had a burn. He had a burn to, uh, to prove himself. And he, he, he was just a, a brilliant coach. Once again, his practices were very efficient. Uh, no, very wa- very little waste of time. No standing around. He knew what he wanted. His uh, the way he taught basketball was brilliant. You know, being able to run, catch, pass, and, and dribble, shoot uh, on the move, uh, playing up tempo, and uh, uh, so he's a brilliant uh, teacher of basketball, and he was a brilliant manager of of human beings. Uh, he created a culture where. Uh, the players had a peer culture which kind of kept each other in check. And, 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 and when that didn't work, then it went to him or, or to Jerry West, who you did not want to see. <laughs> I mean, you were loaded with Hall of Famers. There was you, you had Magic, Kareem, Worthy, and Adrian Danley was with you guys for a while, too. Adrian Danley, uh, also Bob. Oh, yeah, Adrian Danley was with us. Well, he was pre-Magic, uh, right. Danley. He got great year before, but he was with us, the great Adrian Daly, and also Bob McAdoo, exactly. Hall of Famer. And Byron Scott wasn't too shabby either. Oh, Byron Scott, Cooper, Rambus, Kupchak, none of those guys were too shabby. Even Swen backed up Kareem for a while. Yeah, that's right. Now, one of your best games came in, uh, what, game six of the, the 85 finals? And it's sort of overshadowed yeah. by the sort of overshadowed by the fact that Magic went from point guard to playing center when Kareem was hurt, and uh, Magic gets forty two points, fifteen rebounds, seven assists, and and you only had thirty seven points and 10, 10 boards. You go okay, well you know what am I chopped liver? Uh, well, no, I didn't quite feel that way. I mean, he was uh, spectacular, no doubt about it. And I was happy for him and just as excited as everyone else to play. You know, we did not want to play that game without our captain and, and our center, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for him to play all five positions and, and do that. But I knew what I meant to that game. I mean, I hit all the big shots going down the stretch. Uh, so, you know, I knew my role was critical. And so I understood the hoopla about Magic. And I was just very happy that we won the game, number one, and I was happy for him personally. Because I think the week before or something, the Rookie of the Year voting came out, which Larry Bird got Rookie of the Year. But the vote was so embarrassing uh, that, um, you know, he, he it was a statement game for him. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, we won and we got another championship. So I'm okay with it. Did you ever think to yourself, I want to have the team and be the leader of the team? It seemed like at UCLA, it was Bill Walton's team. And then when you joined the Lakers, it was Kareem's team. And then later on, it became Magic's team. Uh, yeah, those thoughts entered my mind, uh, especially at Golden State. That was why I wanted to finish my career there, because I seemed to be the heir apparent to Rick Barry. And I would have been able to handle the ball more uh, and have more of a run on the floor. But, you know... Ever since I was a little boy, I understood, you know, you can debate who, who the best player was in a game or a league or a season, but you cannot debate who won. And so, you know, my whole upbringing and then Coach Wooden's influence uh, set the tone for me that that was my priority, winning. And if I was the best player, great. Uh, but and, and, and if I wasn't considered the best player, 
that was okay too, as long as we won. But I know that I was a key to all that winning, and so that's what I what I'm most uh, pleased and most happy about. Can we debate who the best actor to come out of UCLA basketball was? You or Mike Warren? <laughs> oh, that's easy, Mike Warren. <laughs> If you had wanted to, do you think you could have pursued an acting career beyond uh, Cornbread Earl and me? I don't know. You know, the that world is so skewed toward height uh, that, you know, the roles, there are a lot of roles written for guys, you know, quite honestly. And so I saw that, you know, early on. Now, I'd have to be like a specialty uh, role. You know, most of the roles are for guys 6'1", 6'2", and under. And so, you know, that was a real deterrent uh, for me. Plus, I didn't like, you know, I really didn't care for all the casting calls. So I don't know if I had the personality for it, but I, I don't think my height, I think my height worked against me in in, in the acting world. Reggie Theus, he considers himself still an actor. Well, he can think whatever he wants. Uh, <laughs> and that's fine. And, uh, you know, I mean, hopefully he's getting the work, and, and, and if he is, he's an actor, but he was certainly a great basketball player and a great Chicago Bull, and he's now coaching out here at uh, 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 one of the local colleges, and I certainly hope he does well. Yeah, his nickname was Rush Street Reggie in Chicago. <laughs> well, I won't ask why. I can, I can get <laughs> Once upon a time, Coach Wooden was asked, uh, what what the ideal player would be, and he he responded, I would have the player be a good student, polite, courteous, a good team player, a good defensive player and rebound, a good inside player, an outside shooter. Why not just take Jamal Wilkes and let it go at that? When, when you heard that, how, how did you feel? Uh, it sent chills down my spine, and it still does. You know, I just did the best I could. Uh, I, I, you know, I mean, I – I knew I was there to get an education. I tried to take advantage of that piece of it. Uh, and I did everything. I listened as carefully as I could. I did everything he said to do with the sense of urgency. And, you know, I'm flattered to no end that he said it. I really don't understand it, but it still chills. It still sends spines down, chills down my spine. And, and it just blows my mind that uh, he singled me out after all the, the great student athletes that he had there under his supervision. Who was the toughest guy to play against? Uh, college or pro? Both. Uh, college, uh, I would say, it was David Thompson at North Carolina State. Uh, even though we should have won that game, he, he was a really, really, he was just created a lot of challenges. And and in the NBA, he did too. And uh, in, in, in the NBA, well, first of all, you got to understand about the NBA, everyone is there because they're really, really, really good at something. And so uh, everyone is really tough to play. I mean, really tough to play. It's a, it's, it's, it's a privilege, but it's a challenge, and it's a big job every night. But guys that immediately come to mind, and there are guys that are it's different reasons. But, uh, you know, a guy like George Gervin, who is just so creative out there and has the run of the offense, it's just a lot of pressure defending him. Uh, a guy like Larry Bird, who, you know, you look at him, he's slow, he's big, but he's just a, uh, but he's one step ahead of everybody. 
And he's behind that three-point line, and he says, no way he can make that. And he makes it every time, and he's, you know, getting rebounds, and he just does a lot of different things to help the team. A guy like uh, Bernard King at New York, when he got done, I mean, he was just uh, impossible to stop. So those three immediate, and then you got a uh, Julius Irving, who just is uh, so explosive and so uh, exciting and dramatic. It's hard not to watch him during the game, but you, you just don't want him to get one of those plays, those dunks going, uh, or those you know, super slick moves where it just ignites the arena. So those guys come to mind, but everyone is really challenging. I know my favorite player growing up was Andrew Tony. That guy just was smooth too. Oh, he was a he was a monster out there. I had to, I had to guard him some too. I, I went you know between the off guard and the small forward, and you know I dreaded I dreaded you know seeing him coming. Well, they they get you out there on the wing, and it's you and him. And if he gets yeah. one step, you know, it's like, whoops. <laughs> you you got to hope that the Kareem or somebody's by the basket to try to stop him. Well, he was so effective uh, outside, too, as well as inside. So, I mean, it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, I mean, he, he could, he could, when he got going, he was just a nightmare. And, and he was one of the more difficult players to try and defend as well. When you converted to Islam, your your dad was a Baptist preacher. What what was the the family's reaction? Yeah, my dad was a Baptist preacher. Uh, he was a uh, uh, an open minded guy. Always encouraged us to think about things. He was into, I mean, he admired uh, Mahatma Gandhi and you know some of the Eastern philosophy as well. But I started reading about that in college. Uh, as a result of uh, Malcolm X's autobiography, and uh, I actually had uh, begun to practice in college, but didn't announce it till later. And you know, it, even though you know he was open-minded, but my mother took it very, very hard, and and he did too. It was still a a jolt to the family, and uh, you know, we resolved to we were still family. And I think the fact that I didn't change my last name took a bit of the sting out, but, um, you know, in retrospect, I, I think they were, they were, they were disappointed. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and yet, you know, I was, I was confused too, because I thought it was a good thing. And yet I was causing, uh, you know, disappointment, clearly, clearly disappointment, but we managed to move on and get by. How, how did you concentrate during those games with those Laker girls on the sidelines? <laughs> it was, it was hard, man. <laughs> it was hard, but it was also inspiring. You know, you come over there, you sit on the bench, and it just took your mind off of stuff, and they're happy and they're excited, and the music and the fans are into them. And it was, it was a lift. It was a big lift. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you couldn't watch them too hard or else you'd get distracted. <laughs> I mean, you had the Laker girls and you had all the celebrities behind the bench. So there was entertainment not only on the court, but – with the cheerleaders and the uh, celebrities. Well, yeah, the uh, the uh, celebrities were there. You know, you knew you'd see them after the game, so that that was less of a distraction. But the Laker girls were they were they were really part of our success, I think, because they really kept us kept us up. And you know, no matter what what would had happened to play before or the you know the the minutes before, you know, you just went back right after it. <laughs> 
did basketball prepare you in any way for life after basketball? Uh, it helped, yeah. Uh, you know, my family prepared me. Coach Wooden uh, prepared me. That's really what Coach Wooden was about. And, you know, my experience is great coaches care about their players. You know, Coach Riley, he taught me stuff out of them. I mean, they, they not only want to win and they not only push you to win, but they care about you after basketball. And so it it helped. Yes, sir. How did it feel like going in the Hall of Fame? I was so excited and uh, appreciative. A lot of people thought I was already in the Hall of Fame. You know, there's a lot of, you know, debate about it. But when I got the call and, and uh, you know, it was just so realistic. And then, you know, I got the call uh, during the Final Four. Then you wait till September. And the buildup is just amazing. And they do a phenomenal job, the Hall of Fame, of really making you feel like, you're on top of the world, and you and your family feel that way. They do just an awesome job, and it was just a lot of fun, a great experience, and uh, I just, you know, thank thank the fans and thank the voters. Now, the, both the Lakers and UCLA retired your number in the last couple of years. Do you ever think to yourself, they must be doing this alphabetically by last name? <laughs> well... No, I never looked at it that way, but uh, <laughs> that's an interesting thought, yeah. You know, because I look at you and your career and I say, I'm, I'm like a lot of people. He's not in the Hall of Fame. His number's not retired. I mean, that that's one of those things you just sort of make an assumption that that already happened like, you know, what, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, no, that's how a lot of people, a lot of, that's how a lot of people reacted. You know, you weren't in it already and. But, you know, I wasn't, but now I am, so it's official. What are you involved in now? Well, I'm uh, I'm involved in a, a health challenge uh, to provide a solution to obesity. I'm involved in financial education for families, and I'm also writing my memoirs. A- anything juicy that we should look forward to in your memoirs? Uh, I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Any Paula Abdul stories when she was a Laker girl? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll have to wait for it to get finished. Yeah, it should be out next next season. We thought it might be out this season, but we're we're going to take our time, and uh, I think it'll be out next season. So uh, maybe we can talk again next year. Sounds good. I'm sure there's a lot of magic in that book. Uh, literally and uh, figuratively. <laughs> Elliot, another great show today. Indeed. Allison Papp taught us about layering. We were going to get layered. <laughs> Or unlayered. Yeah, that, that was phenomenal. Jamal Wilkes, incredibly interesting. It was a great show today. I want to thank our producer, Dave Olson. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here on TalkZone.com.